Father, you are the matchless king through all eternity. You are Lord of lords, you are king of kings, and we have come to worship your name today. Thank you, God, for the opportunity uh, to uh, open your book uh, to Daniel and to see how you prove out yourself as Lord of lords, king of kings, uh, in and through um, the life of Nebuchadnezzar this day, of all men. And uh, Father, would you be glorified in the unfolding of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome back to Daniel, week number two. And as uh, you heard me pray, uh, today we're going to get through chapters two through four, Lord willing. Uh, and we are going to spend time really primarily focused at a human level on one of the most notorious, megalomaniacal, uh, wicked kings of all of history, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the man at a human level uh, responsible for the destruction of Jerusalem, the exile of God's people, um, and uh, who... Um, had really one thing in his mind through most of his life. And Nebuchadnezzar's mind was stayed on Nebuchadnezzar. That's right, Jessica. <laughs> um, and uh, you will see, I hope, today, how God disabuses Nebuchadnezzar of this um, through uh, the, what we will see in chapters 2 through 4. So, if you haven't already done so, please turn to Daniel chapter 2. And uh, we are going to, Lord willing, read every word of this, just chunk by chunk, and we'll unfold it uh, as, as time allows. And that we have a few stopping places along the way, but primarily this is just going to be looking at this bite by bite, and uh, hopefully in, in the next 45 minutes or so we will have eaten it all. So away we go into Daniel Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. Um, you remember from last week that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been brought to uh, Babylon. They had a period of three years of training, and this three years is now done. Uh, just to clarify, you saw in verse 1 here today, this says the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar. How does that work? Well, uh, in Babylonian reckoning of time, the year of accession that is, the first year of a new king is not counted. So his first year was really his second year. His second year is really his third year, and so it all makes perfect sense. <laughs> if that makes sense to you. But it makes sense to me. But here we have Nebuchadnezzar. I just want to lay out from time to time some things about Nebuchadnezzar's heart and his mindset. He is troubled in spirit, uh, and sleep left him because of these dreams, and so he brings together 
uh, all of what we would sort of generally call his wise men, uh, magicians, uh, enchanters, sorcerers, Chaldeans, um, and he wants them to tell him his dream. A curious uh, dialogue as we carry on. Verses 3 and 4. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Um, and, and so begins this little cat and mouse uh, of, of this dream and its interpretation. Um, Nebuchadnezzar is insisting that they first tell him the dream, then also the interpretation. Uh, and they seek to have Nebuchadnezzar tell us the dream, and then we will give you uh, the interpretation. This, this can, continues on, but I just want you to see what's, what's happening here. And as I mentioned last week, this is the beginning of the Aramaic part of Daniel. Anybody remember at least what I proposed, why we have this big chunk of Daniel in Aramaic from last week? I'm sorry? That's right. Yeah, it was the lingua franca. It was, it was the language of, of international business. So this is, this is now being written in the language that all the nations are going to be un- able to understand it. Um, and, and not just the Jews, not just the Hebrews. Yeah, that's right. Okay, <clears throat> so verses 5 to 11, conversation is going to escalate pretty quickly. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you don't, do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb. And your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So we have some, some additional insight into the character of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, He gets right to business. Uh, I would like you to show me the dream. If you cannot, I will have you dismembered and your home burnt down. Okay. So, uh, um, and continues on. 
he claims that they are stalling, which they are. <laughs> they are, right? Um, and the, the, he tells them, he reminds them that the sentence for failing this is fixed. I'm, I'm not budging here. And finally, uh, in verse 10, uh, the Chaldeans say what we all know and what, what really Nebuchadnezzar should have known all along is this, this isn't something that a person can do. I, this, this is only from the gods. Um, and, and, and by their acknowledgement right, of not being able to do this, they have said, in so many words, we don't have a God powerful enough to do this in us. There's, they are the, the, the shelf of idols doesn't have one that we worship that gives us this power. It's not in our bag of tricks as enchanters or magicians or Chaldeans. It's not in our depth of wisdom to be able to do this. So they're in a tight spot. If you've seen, oh, brother, where art thou? That's a quote from there. <laughs> Verses 12 and 13. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Again, we see more and more of Nebuchadnezzar's um, hair-trigger fury, his impetuousness. Um, he, he has no patience whatsoever. Uh, everything about Nebuchadnezzar is about Nebuchadnezzar at this point in his life. <clears throat> He's commanded that all of the wise men be killed, including uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, so, that gets us through our first section, this demand for an interpretation, an interpretation demanded. And now we have Daniel's response begins in verse 14. I'm going to read 14 through 18 here. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These are their Hebrew names, right, of these brothers, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. We'll stop there. We'll pause there. So let's think through Daniel's actions. They're they're described as um, prudent, as discreet or careful. Um, He went right to the, the source, right? He went right to the man who was commissioned to go and kill him. That's amazing courage. Um, and he asked the most important question. Why is this so urgent? To get the answer. And immediately went 
to make an appointment with the king. Now that is faith in your God. Remember, we learned from Daniel 1 that Daniel had been given all understanding and visions and dreams, and it's three years later now, and we assume, I think that it's fair to assume that, that he had been able to exercise that before we just don't have it in the pages of Daniel, that sometimes perhaps through those, those three years he had occasion um, for, for this gift to be exercised. But we don't see any panic or fear, uh, no begging for his life or an attempt to escape. Um, and Daniel then goes to his companions and, and he enlists them in prayer, seeking God's mercy uh, for a response. Let's go on in verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. So, again, we are learning more about Daniel as well along the way. And this, uh, verses uh, 20 through 23, by the way, is just the first of a number of wonderful, astounding prayers in the book of Daniel. When we think of prayers in the Bible, we often go to the epistles of Paul, and rightly so. Um, I encourage you uh, also, put Daniel high on your list if you're looking for prayer material uh, where a man is astounded uh, with the Lord. Uh, this is great material. So he is, this is an exposition in verses 20 to 23 of God's sovereignty um, that that. Wisdom and might belong to God. He is, he is supreme over times and seasons, the heavenly bodies and their movement. Uh, he is uh, su supreme over earthly rulers, uh, installing them and removing them as he sees fit, according to his will. If anyone has wisdom, it's from God. If anyone knows a thing, including two plus two, it's from God. What do you have that you has not been given to you? Right? 1 Corinthians 4, 7, I think that is. And if it's been given to you, why do you boast as if you did it yourself? Yeah. Um, God holds all knowledge, the known and the hidden, and he reveals it according to his good pleasure, not on our timetable. We'll see more of that in the, the next chapter as well. He knows the darkness and the light dwells with him. 
And then Daniel pours out his thanks. And then goes right back to Arioch, the guy who has who is lining up the killing squads to go kill Daniel, his friends, and all the wise men, and says, get, get me in a point, you know, get me in with the king, I'm ready. So a big chunk, uh, the next big chunk here is verses 25 to 30 that we'll look at. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was uh, Belteshazzar in Babylonian, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But... There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me... This mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than, than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be, be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So Daniel essentially gives, the, at least at the beginning, the same answer as the astrologers and the enchanters, right? No man can do this. No, no, no. But there is a God in heaven. Not on your shelf of idols, Nebuchadnezzar. But there is a God in heaven who can reveal all mysteries, who holds all knowledge. And he, in his gracious will, has revealed it to me. And I will tell it to you. Not because he revealed it to me, not because I'm any better, any more wise, any more knowledgeable than anyone else. But simply... For this time, um, and because it is God's good pleasure for this. Okay, we learn here from these verses that this matter is in the future. Verse 28 speaks of it as being in the latter days. Verse 29 of things that will be after it. Verse 29, things that are to be. And so let's read on. Verses 31 to 35 gives us this dream. You saw, O king... And behold, a great image, this image mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. We'll pause there. 
I hadn't mentioned this before, and I'll just say this briefly. Short of Revelation, the Internet is filled with Daniel charts and pictures that will just boggle the mind. So uh, many of them really bad, <laughs> and some of them faithful to the text, but uh, take care as you and use your discretion as you go out searching for uh, charts and pictures and, and things about uh, Daniel. But here's the thing. You go and look for things about Daniel 2 images, and they're all about this image. Everybody is astounded with this image of gold and silver and bronze and clay and iron. And what is this? What is this? And hardly anybody talks about the stone cut by no human hand that comes and crushes and destroys and turns into powder like chaff. The image, every bit of it, that it's just blown away with no trace of it remaining. So just for your own edification, you come to Daniel 2, it's okay to be interested in the image and what are these kingdoms. And that, I, would, I would beg you to also be very interested in the stone cut by no human hand, okay? All right. Um, 36 to 43, we'll go on to the interpretation. This was the dream. Daniel's still speaking. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given whatever, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of heaven, making you rule over them all. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior, you can imagine Nebuchadnezzar's response at this point. I thought so. I thought, thought, thought that was me. Sorry. Another kingdom, verse 39, inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so, that the kingdom shall, so shall the kingdom be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. We'll pause there. So, in its simplest form, we know already the first kingdom is Nebuchadnezzar, and the next kingdoms are the next kingdoms. Um, so we, we know that they are the, the Medo-Persian kingdom. This is what the, the silver uh, body is, the, the bronze uh, uh, center and thighs uh, is the Greek kingdom. And then the Roman kingdom is the iron and the iron and clay mixed. Um, these are in many ways less and less glorious kingdoms, but more and more powerful, brutal kingdoms as, as they come along, in, this, in many of the same ways that these different elements, these different materials uh, indicate. 
All right. Now let's get to the stone, and we'll, we'll talk uh, about, more about the fourth kingdom and the stone. Verses 44 and 45. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Um, So, just so you know, one of the, the first interpretive uh, issues here is with this fourth kingdom, right? Verse 44 begins, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up his kingdom forever and will do away with all other kingdoms. Um, so as we have this um, succession of kingdoms, uh, it is, I think that it's right and good to understand that the Roman kingdom is certainly represented, or the Roman empire of the first century BC is certainly represented here, but it's also pointing to something more when it talks about that God's kingdom will be set up. Certainly the coming of the Messiah set up God's kingdom in a particular way. However, uh, the final doing away with all other kingdoms appears to be a thing for latter days as well. That's still ahead of us. Uh, We know that the kingdom of the Messiah has come and is growing, but we look around and we see that there are still earthly kingdoms uh, among us. And so um, many have called it a renewed or revived uh, Roman Empire of the latter days. I don't know if that you know, doesn't necessarily need to be Roman, certainly doesn't need to be European. We will get into those weeds uh, another day. But, but uh, the uh, appearance or, or uh, resemblance of uh, a Roman Empire of the first century uh, B.C. would not be a surprise at all uh, for us to see those things in the latter day. Or we, could, we could certainly draw some connections even this day. But the main point here is not what that fourth kingdom is. The main point is the fifth and final kingdom is the kingdom of our Lord. And we dare not miss that. That when the Lord establishes his kingdom fully and completely, all other kingdoms will be like chaff. It, it will be like dust. Uh, it, it will just, no matter what it was made of, of iron or clay or bronze or silver or gold, it'll just blow away. Like it, like, it, like it never was. No trace whatsoever. So Lord, hasten that day. Uh, okay. So let's get uh, the end of this chapter, verses 46 to 49. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss, Nebuchadnezzar. And commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. Strike two, Nebuchadnezzar. 
The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Um, So we see a response of gratitude from Nebuchadnezzar, but towards Daniel, he still doesn't get it. Even though there's some words here, like, hey, Daniel, your God must really be something. Um, We'll see uh, pretty quickly uh, that Nebuchadnezzar's heart has not been converted yet. He He is aware that there is a God in heaven, but he is not yet worshiping him. Okay, let's get on to verse uh, chapter 3. <laughs> we'll be here till 11 o'clock. Um, verses 1 to 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. That's 90 feet tall, 9 feet across. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, then the king Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Uh, This is one of the characteristics of Daniel that you'll see is this repetition of these just listen, 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 listen. Three times we've already been told, this is the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. In three verses we've been told that, right? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar wants to make sure that everybody knows this is the image that I set up. You will find later that this, this image is never associated with the name of one of the Babylonian gods. So what do you think Nebuchadnezzar thinks the image might be? Himself. It's not explicitly said, but you'll see it later, that it's set separately than all the, all the gods of Babylon. And he brings together all, really everyone who's anyone from his entire empire. One commentator notes that the plain of Dura happens to be where the Tower of Babel was likely built. So this is an interesting move on Nebuchadnezzar's part as well, is it not? To build a big something uh, to show the power of man. Okay, verses 4 to 7. Here comes the announcement. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now the fourth time that's been mentioned. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, 
all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Five times now mentioned. Um, make sure that, in case you hadn't noticed, it's King Nebuchadnezzar set it up. Um, so, uh, a harsh herald, my goodness. I mean, the first words, you are commanded. This is not how to influence people and make friends. That wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's job here. Uh, worldwide implications. The, intro the introduction is to peoples, nations, and languages. Um, we have the list of all those uh, instruments and the dire warning that is given. We're going to move on to verses 8 to 12. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Okay, so we have the accusation, which is true. Well, we don't know that they don't pay any attention to him, but they're certainly not bowing down uh, when this panoply of instruments start making a racket. Um, so let's go on, verses 13 to 15. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Do you see that? You do not worship my gods or the image that I've set up. See, he puts the image in a different category than my gods. That's why I wonder if he doesn't think that this is me. You know, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Um, so the gauntlet is, is laid down. Um, who is this God? Who's going to deliver you, men, from, from my hands? And we need to um, see Shadrach, Meshach's, Abednego's response because it's golden. Verses 16 to 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Okay, so we're going to go to verse 17 and 18 here because there's some grammar we need to dig into 
I think that sometimes when we remember this paragraph, we may not remember it quite right. So notice what's happening here. Verse 17 says, if this be so, or if it be so, whatever the this or the it is, something will happen. Verse 18, but if not, if this not be so from 17, or it not be so from 17, then something else will happen. So we have to answer the question, what is the this they're talking about? Um, to say that it's being thrown in the furnace doesn't seem to make much sense. You know, if it's, if it's true, if this be so that you'll throw us in the furnace, then God is able to deliver us. That's true. But if you don't throw us in the furnace, verse 18, we won't serve your gods. That, that probably is not, doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, Others have, have proposed that the it here is a direct answer to, the, to Nebuchadnezzar's question in verse 15. Who is this God who will deliver you? And so that is to say, verse 17, they would be answering, if God is real, if there is a God, he's able to deliver us um, uh, from the fiery furnace. Uh, but, but even if he's not real, verse 18, we're not going to worship uh, the image that you've set up. Uh, clearly, that's not the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, what I believe is best to understand this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not pretending to know the secret will of the Lord. They don't know if they're going to survive or not. They don't know what God has planned for them in the next three minutes of their lives. And so if they, I believe what they're saying, if this be so, that God will spare our lives, um, he is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us out of your hand. But if this is not God's will, uh, we're still not going to bow down. We're still not going to bow down. Um, the... They don't have a shred of doubt about whether God exists or whether he can save them. They have no idea whether he will. But their faith isn't in whether God will spare them or won't spare them. Their faith is in the reality that God is the God of heaven who is capable, who is, who is there and who has promised to work perfectly in their lives. <clears throat> Let me read a fairly long um, quote from Ferguson on this. I can't do a Scottish accent. You'll have to add that <clears throat> yourself. If there's any true faith in our own hearts, we will want to stand up and cheer as we read these words from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the last analysis, the friends' faith was not in their deliverance, but was in their God. It was of the same order as Job's, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. With Paul, they wanted to glorify God in their body, either by life or death. In a sense, it was all one to them, as long as God's name could be exalted. They knew that God could deliver them. I'm sorry, they knew that should God deliver them, his name would be vindicated. They also knew that should they die, 
their faithful testimony would display the worthiness of their God and the unworthiness of Nebuchadnezzar's self-created idol. By the manifestation of the truth, they would commend themselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Death would work in them, but life would surely spring forth in others through their witness. Notice that these men of faith would not have regarded their deaths in the flames to be a failure of faith, but rather an indication of God's will. By faith, the flames may be quenched. We read that from Hebrews 11 last week. But in that same faith, also from Hebrews 11, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might, might obtain a better resurrection. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain by the sword. End quote from Hebrews 11. Faith means trusting in God and his word. Faith does not mean that we either know or understand what his specific purpose in our lives may be. It means a ready willingness to follow him, whatever his purpose. I like that a lot. I bet it sounds even better with the Scottish brogue. <clears throat> and um, so the question is for us, right? Because we, not, I don't think anyone here has faced a fiery furnace, nor likely we will. But we face troubles. We face opportunities to to trust the Lord or to work our way out of a situation that's painful um, and avoid uh, some, some harm um, when we could just say, you know what, the Lord may deliver me from this or he may put me right through it. And I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to trust the Lord and don't, don't try to outguess what his will for you or his purposes in your life, in your death, in your weal or your woe, um, just trust him at his word and what he has for you in your life. Uh, take the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say that, you know, if this be so, if, if this is the Lord's will to deliver me today, great. I know he can. I don't know if he will. And if he won't today... He's got a way better purpose than I could even imagine. Okay. Our time is short, so I'm going to shortcut some of the rest of this. You know the rest of the story. They threw them in. The furnace was so hot that it, that it destroyed the men who were taking them to the furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar looks, and he says, Whoa, didn't we cast three in there? I see four. And there's a fourth one walking around uh, with them. The men are now unbound. They were put in bound, fully clothed, uh, to make sure that there was good fuel to start them on fire before their bodies were burned. And they're unbound. They're walking around with the fourth one. It looks like a son of the gods in Nebuchadnezzar's work. Um, we're, we're never given a name here, but this is, this is likely our Savior prior to his incarnation. This is a Christophany, a pre-incarnate Christophany, if you want the whole thing. Our Savior was there with these men, keeping them. They come out. They don't even smell like, they don't even smell like they've been camping, right? <laughs> um, 
They're, they're, they are not singed in any way. They're, they're, they're completely unharmed. Just a stroll in the fiery furnace is all it was. And um, we need uh, Nebuchadnezzar's words at the end of chapter 3, uh, verses 28 to 30. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Nebuchadnezzar's getting closer to the kingdom of God. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. That's Nebuchadnezzar's, it seems that's his solution for any disobedience. Um, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Um, he's getting closer. Uh, this is still not how we would think about the worship of the Lord, that, that anyone who doesn't should be torn limb from limb and his house burned down. Okay. Chapter 4. And this will be abbreviated. Um, Verses 1 through 3, I want you to see the big picture of this. Verses 1 through 3, and then verses 34 to 37, are really the, the bookends to this chapter. Nebuchadnezzar is declaring something big changed in my life. Okay? And then in between, we're going to have some first-person stuff from Nebuchadnezzar, and then the, and a section that's just some from the omniscient narrator telling the, the whole story. So verses 1 to 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. This sounds a lot different than the herald who said, it is commanded, right, you do this. Uh, We have peace and blessing versus commandment and punishment. Verse 2, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Uh, Something has happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar continues in the first person through verses 4 to 18, telling a dream. I'm going to uh, shortcut that to just give you the picture. The dream is of a really big tree that covers the entire earth and provides nourishment and shelter for everything, birds and animals. It is, it is a glorious tree that beyond our imagination. And a watcher, probably an angel, came down and declared that the tree should be cut down, that all of its leaves should be stripped off of its branches, that all of its branches should be broken down, all of its fruit taken and thrown and uh, aside, and that the tree should be removed except for its stump. You can imagine, if you're Nebuchadnezzar, this would be another frightening dream uh, for him because he's wondering what this means. Daniel comes, he calls Daniel, where I'm down now in verse 19, and Daniel comes to give the interpretation. Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. 
The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and it's an interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to the heaven, and was visible to the ends of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, in which there was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches the heaven to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down that tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him, notice a change of pronouns, the tree is no longer an it, it's a him, let him be wet with the dew of heaven, let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, it is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know, till you know, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel gives the interpretation and then also, because he calls it the decree, a decree of the Most High, yet also pleads with Nebuchadnezzar, repent, show some mercy, that, that perhaps your days before this will be lengthened. This is instructive for us as well, as we see that there may be people who hate the Lord with a passion in your lives. Maybe you're related to them even, or neighbors, Right? And it may seem to you that this is just the Lord's decree in their lives, but we plead, continue to plead with those that we know who hate the Lord to repent. Uh, we don't pretend to know what God will do in the days to come. All right, verses 28 to 33. Uh, verse 28 sums everything up. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Just, just as Daniel had, had described it. Um, and um, he, um, yeah, he, he, we would say, lost his mind. But the Lord did this, right? So we want to be careful uh, about just sort of ascribing things to something out there that, that it really is, is a chaotic something you know, something snapped. He just lost it. He just went crazy. This, this is the, the Bible tells us this is the decree of the Most High. Regardless of what the means of it was, 
It was the decree of the Most High that happened to Nebuchadnezzar for a time. And he was excluded from the kingdom for a time until we have to have this before we depart. Verse 34. At the end of the days, so now we're back, Nebuchadnezzar, first person. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride... He is able to humble. Um, This is an amazing set of chapters of God working in this prideful, defiant man. May the Lord never require to humble any of us in such a way as he did Nebuchadnezzar. However, if that's what it takes, then so be it, right? Because we want to agree with Nebuchadnezzar at the end of chapter 4. We want to declare that all of God's works are right and all of his ways are just, uh, no matter what those ways are, because he rules over all things in the heavens and on this earth. Uh, oh, there's so much more. But this is really the end of Nebuchadnezzar in, in, uh, in Daniel. He'll be referred to Uh, In the next chapter, just by his great-grandson, like, yeah, yeah, that guy, that was a really strange thing. But, um, yeah, let's pray, and then we'll go on. Father, thank you for these chapters. Thank you for um, what we can see, how you have worked perfectly in the life of Nebuchadnezzar to humble this man and to bring him to repentance Um, Father, I pray that any who are here who are so full of pride, so defiant against you, God, we pray that you would humble us, that you would humble them, that you would bring them to the foot of the cross, that they would seek you, uh, that they would see Christ high and lifted up and would trust in his finished work knowing that you are the sovereign of this world and not us. Uh, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.